0: I don't know about you, but I went on vacation. It was very nice. It was like a week or two ago. I can't remember because of the jet lag and whatnot. But I need to ask all of us a question because it'll help me with my sanity. I want to make sure that I'm not crazy when I have this opinion. And so this is kind of like group therapy. Thank you. So here it goes. I took an airplane. In fact, I rode on two of them because you have to get there and come back. And as I was going on to the plane, well, you know what? Forget that. Let me just do this by hands. Hands up for it's all about the window seat. Very nice. Hands up for the aisle. Ooh. And we're about split, so I'm not crazy because it proves my point. Now, here's my point. What's your point, dude? This is my point. The middle is the worst. Can I hear it for that? Thank you, yeah. Well, there's a little bit too much eagerness from these people on the side, though. We might have to do the passing of the peace once more. But yes, the middle is the worst. Thank you. The middle is the worst. Crazy stuff happens in the middle. I have seen the ridiculousness of the middle in my last past trip. Now, yes, I did sit in the middle. I'm not bitter about it. My love, I would do it every single time. I will always sit in the middle between you and Bridget. I love that spot. But here's the thing. As I was sitting there in the middle... I realized that people will do anything to not sit in the middle. I saw a man put his bag up and then lay down and pretend like he was asleep so that everyone was thinking, oh, no, you can't ask this guy. He's in the corner seat. And people were like poking him. Hey, dude, that's my spot. And he was like, ah. And like, dude, I'm on the aisle. Get in the middle. And he looks all upset. He gets in. another person was just sitting there and being like, are you Sure. I don't think so, I'm pretty sure I'm on the aisle. And they're like, no, A, B, C, you're B, I'm C. You're in the middle. I was like, I don't think so, dude. And then my favorite is the person who was sitting there being like, it doesn't really matter where you sit. And the guy was like, bro, it matters where I sit. You're in the middle. And it was just this greatness of no one wanting to sit in the middle. Because when you're sitting in the middle, you're cramped. You have no idea who you are or what you are doing with your life because you're just jammed there. Now, there are certain rules. If you're in the middle, you know, you got your own hand rest. Nobody else gets those. Those armrests are yours. You get to slightly lean back, but you can't go all the way because that's just messed up to the person in the middle. But what happened to me? My chair would not go back. The person was ignoring the rules. They were flying themselves all the way back. It was a wonderful flight. I enjoyed it immensely. I'm not here to complain. I'm just here to make the point that the middle is the worst, and it makes us question who we are and what we are about. Now, our scripture reading came from Genesis. Genesis is not the middle, it is the very beginning. And in the very beginning, we actually do see who we are and what we are. And so, as our song so beautifully captured for us, that song for beautiful songs or soulful songs of summer said, We are made from dust. And even though we aspire to the heavens as human beings, there's this contrast between dust that we are and this aspiration of heavens. For human beings aspire to, to beauty and to dignity, to knowledge and to power and to endless love. But as one of my favorite worship leaders likes to tell me, we're just bags of water. We're heaps of protoplasm running around, wandering through it. And Job even says something like this. Job says this. If God, well, actually, it wasn't Job. It was his friend. If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with air, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in the dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth. We hear that and we may even go to the extreme and say, you know what, we really are nothing more than dust. And it is a sober fact that we must come to realization if we are dust, and to dust we shall return, it doesn't matter what we aspire to. But there is distance between what we are and what we aspire to. And in the mix of that distance, there's ridiculousness, there's tension, there's beauty, there's love, there's compassion, there's cynicism, there's all this stuff in the middle, and that distance is the real difference, I think. Because when God created the world, he spoke everything into existence. He spoke and there was light. He spoke and there was water. He spoke and there were stars. He spoke and there were creatures. But when we see him doing man, we get something different. God uses the word made man in our own image. He makes man. And that's a profound difference. If you think about ordering something or just saying something versus working with your hands and bringing something into creation. See, God made us. And we were made for these higher things. So even though we're part body, part physical being, we're also a part of a person where mind and spirit and soul are mixed together. And in that contrast of the physicalness and the consciousness, there are those experiences and interests and everything that comes with it and what we would call life. And we know that because in Genesis 2-7, something interesting happens that sets us apart in this life. And I don't know if you caught it, but it was that God breathes life into us. The breath of And life of God is something that makes us more than dust. Something that is beautiful. And as the psalmist says, a little less than a God. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than a God and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You see, even for all our dustiness, God pays attention to us. He meets us, and He gives us work to do. Out of dust, God breathes His life in us, and we receive power and purpose. And that's who we are and what we are. We are His dust-breathed, created beings who cooperate and work with Him in harmony with the earth. But regardless of who or what we are, when we look at who or what we did, well, then we start to have a problem. If you've ever opened up to Genesis, you read Genesis chapter 2, then comes Genesis, children. Chapter 3, excellent, sir, well done. Now, after chapter 3, you know what you get? You get introduced to two characters, Adam and Eve, and then it just says a little bit about them, and then the next title for the next chapter is called The Fall. It doesn't talk about anything good, it just goes straight into The Fall, because that's what happens. No matter who or what we are, what we did is fall. You see, we refused to be dust, and we wished and desired to be something more. And you know what happens or what happened when we wanted that. It was pride, there was doubt, there was betrayal, and then there was a little bit of eating. Generation after generation then was marked by murder, by lies, by greed, by envy and laziness. And story after story in the Bible, we see sin. Beauty and perfection with God was separated What was exchanged was dust and death. Because of sin, all of us are condemned to death, death, as if we were simply dust to be swept away. And I think we know what it feels like to be dust. Everyone's experienced the frailty and the failures that come with being dust. And it's not hard to look around and see reminders of it constantly with things like Alzheimer's and loss, estrangement of families. We look at our world where we have obesity and famine in the same place, extreme wealth and extreme poverty, and the threat of war seems to always be looming. And a- all of our life is just a dust-filled existence, then it's no wonder that we choose this last song as a song that speaks to our soul with a question that we cry out, could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden even come up from this ground? And if it was left to the ones that God put in charge to work the garden, well, the answer is no. But when we read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, verse 21, We remember that God made him who was no sin to become sin for us so that we may be saved. See, out of sin, Christ Jesus dies for us and we receive forgiveness and eternal life, and you might call that salvation. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that that's all there is with salvation. It's a nice little bow, you know. Okay, I get it. We were bad. Jesus died, now there's forgiveness, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's nice. It helps me with a very positive outlook on life. But I think when we read salvation into that, we are making a mistake for what salvation truly is. Now hear me on this, you are forgiven, and you will receive eternal life on account of Christ Jesus. But the answer is not just some mental acceptance and checklist leading to No change. I like to think that that's like sitting in a window, looking out and seeing all the stuff that you're flying over, but you're separated and you're apart from it. And you think all you have is eternal life and that's going to come when you die. Well, that's kind of like sitting on the aisle and just being ready to go. As soon as this flight hits the ground, you're the first one. But in 2 Corinthians 5:17 we realize that we have a new life in Christ. Yeah, we receive forgiveness and we receive eternal life, but we also receive this new life in the now. In the midst of the dust that we experience and that we are, we have new life now. And just like in Genesis, we also receive power and purpose. Now, salvation may have taken place in a moment on the cross, but salvation is lived every moment of every day in our lives. And the new life that we have is not lived on a window we're on an aisle. It's lived right here in the middle. And I want to take a look at three thoughts about this new life in Christ that we have. And this is from Dallas Winter. It helps us kind of understand how God changes our lives. And I think this will kind of help us look at this new life and how we live this new life by the power of the Spirit that God has given us in our faith and baptism. So here's the first one. I'm going to, exp- I'm going to read it and try to explain it too. Salvation is a new life, right? The presence of a new power within the individual. It's something that we have. It's something that he has given us. It is not some distant power that was only in the book of Acts or that only Jesus had. It is the true living spirit of God inside of us. He has given you this new power to live a new life. And it's marked by an erupting into a break with the past through a turning in repentance, a changing of our mind and a changing of not wanting to live a certain way anymore, but realizing that there is a life for us now. A doing away with the old way of thinking, with the old way of dustful living. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Galatians. I'm talking about what kind of life comes from living for your own way, from not walking in that new life. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking acclimation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. We turn a life that wants our own way and we begin to live the Jesus way and that allows us to be released into forgiveness a daily reminder, a daily dying to sin and a washing away and a scrubbing of that life wanting no more of it and we do that because of what he puts inside of us the second point is this an immediate but also a developing transformation of the individual character and personality. If you're like me, you struggle because you couldn't get it right away and you couldn't be perfect every single time. And so you think that all of it was just a mistake or none of it is really real. There is an immediate change, yes. You move from death to life on account of Christ Jesus. And then for the rest of your days in the middle, you spend them transforming and developing daily. Each day gets a little bit better than the last. Each day you confess your sins and each day you reflect on how the Spirit can move you to be something more. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians, we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a holiness permeates things in people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, but able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And always remembering to not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good because at the right time we will harvest a crop if we don't give up. Right now, every time we get the chance, let's work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us and in the community of faith. It's not easy we practice and we exercise daily in God and the third and final point is this there is a significant extra human power over the evils of this present age and world sin consumes us and if we did not have Christ Jesus if we did not have the spirit we would not be able to do battle but we do. We have this power, this grace, this gift of God to turn from a life of sin, to stop and to simply stand and stand firm in the faith that we have. We can do it individually, but we can also do it collectively as a church. As we come together as one body, relying on one another. And with this in mind, maybe the middle is not so bad. Maybe it isn't the worst, except for on airplanes. The middle is not the worst because it certainly means that you're not alone. It does mean that it's going to be hard and you're going to get squished and maybe you'll have to share that armrest. But look around. Look around and see that we're all here in the middle together and that Christ is here with us as well. And that he made sure that nothing could ever separate us from our Father again. He pays attention to us. He meets us. And he shows us that there's new work to be done, a work that is marked by loving others, joyful work that take place in the here and now of this dust-filled world that we live in.